Let's make this year your best real estate investing year ever by coming to the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. And the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is where you can join hundreds of real estate investors and over 40 expert investor speakers and learn how to have an amazing success in your real estate investing business. The Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is not like any other conference out there. This is a no sales pitch conference where the entire three days event is all about you and helping you to meet expert investors, teaching you how to invest and join a huge community of hundreds of like-minded real estate investors. And because you are a part of the Successfully Unemployed podcast, I'm giving you 20% off your RubeCon pass. That's right. Get 20% off of your RubeCon pass. Use the promo code SU20 or SU20. You need to be at the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. Join us in the heart of downtown St. Louis, March 14th through the 16th for a transformative three-day event that's more than just a conference. It's a community of investors. Get your pass. Go to RubeCon.com, R-E-W-B-C, com and use the promo code SU20 or SU20 to get 20% off of your Rubicon pass. Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We have already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. Successfully Unemployed, your place for freedom. All right, all right, all right. It is time for the Successfully Unemployed show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that 9 to 5 J-O-B, that just overbroke job, by any means possible. And all these experts that I'm bringing onto the show are helping us learn how they became successfully unemployed so that we can also do the same thing and be successfully unemployed as well. Because if you're working that J-O-B, that just over broke job, where you're working nine to five for somebody else, you work one hour and then you get paid for that one hour. Now in this episode, we're going to be talking about creating an Amazon business, creating a business that has suppliers that make products, you have Amazon sell the products, and you have that same supplier ship out the products to the customer or directly to Amazon. They hold on to it and Amazon ships them out. There's such a great, great business model. And the expert that I'm bringing on is going to show us exactly how to get started, how to scale your business and how to grow your business to be successfully unemployed. And I want to give you a huge step forward in being successfully unemployed. I want to get you my best selling book, My best-selling book is called How to Quit Your Job with Passive Income, where I show you 10 different ways to create passive income right now, and I want to get that in your hands so that you can start reading it and implement that into your life. I want you to be successfully unemployed, just like us, all these other normal people that found ways to become successfully unemployed. Get my best-selling book completely for free. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash free book. Get that right away. Start reading it and implement that into your life so you no longer have to work that nine to five J-O-B. Now let's jump into today's show where we're gonna be talking to an expert in Amazon selling. He does a fantastic job having a business, making money for him with other people doing the work. It's amazing. And I want you to get started doing that as well. So let's jump into today's show where we're gonna look at how to be an Amazon seller. Let's do this. I am super excited to have a guest on that is a seller on Amazon, as well as he even talks about how he sold in many different ways. And he's able to build a business, provide for his family without having a job by buying products and selling products all over the world, in fact. And so, Kevin, thank you so much for being here on the show, on the Successfully Employed show. Dustin, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I was uh, listening to some of your episodes and it's you've got a great spirit and I, I like the general flow of this podcast. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really want this show to be where anybody, a regular normal person can come on and listen to it and say, hey, I like that idea. Let me try to implement that in my life. And that's the thing about uh, bringing on people like you. They see, I mean, you and I are just normal people, you know, ordinary people that found a way to be extraordinary. And I say extraordinary because most people, ordinary people have jobs, but we became extraordinary by (laughs) quitting our jobs and providing Mm -hmm. for ourselves and our families outside of that. So I want to jump right into it. How do you make money to provide for your family without working a J-O-B, a just overbroke job? 
<laughs> yes. So I uh, left the corporate world and I now uh, basically have three main ways that I make money. One is, as you mentioned, selling goods on Amazon um, in nine different countries, including the US, um, as well as helping people do that as well. One thing I've come to learn is if you start developing a skill set that um, maybe not everyone understands and you have kind of a unique little niche or perspective, um, oftentimes your knowledge becomes valuable to others. And so I've made money and continue to make money um, helping people there. And then also um, made money with, uh, we got connected through a mutual friend of ours. Uh, his name is Scott Volker. He and I worked together on a conference where we also help people um, in the e-commerce space uh, with a particular conference. So I would say there's my three main revenue streams for, uh, for my life. That's that's terrific. So you have basically three businesses mm -hmm. that are all working in conjunction. Um, some are um, probably a little more hands off, but let's. I I, I want to jump into actually two of them that sound really really interesting. Number one, the selling on Amazon, and number two, I want to get into the conference and you know that sort of thing. So let's, if you can. Walk us through how we would become a seller on Amazon and, you know, from beginning, like, where do we start to sell things on Amazon? Great question. And it seems like that's a very popular thing these days. Um, on, on YouTube, you have a the ability to turn off ads where they're not tracking you, where it's basically like you're always incognito. And I tend to get two kinds of ads when I watch YouTube because I've turned those ad tracking off where I get women's girdles. Um, where it's like, like kind of like a, not Spanx, but something similar to Spanx. And then I get how to find a product to sell on Amazon. So, uh, it seems like it's all the rage these days. And one thing I would recommend to people is if you're thinking about selling on Amazon, if everyone else is zigging, do a little bit more zagging because everyone out there is trying to teach this shiny object, you know, the product that's doing a hundred thousand dollars in sales a month or whatever the case is. But if you, I, I've created a strategy where I've really created a portfolio of products that themselves, none of them are home runs necessarily, but they add up. And so that would be my general direction is what can you do to basically serve someone else and what they're looking for and do it multiple ways and not just with one product or a couple of similar products go. I like to go a little wider. That's not everyone agrees with me on that one, but that's my take. So you have all, all the products that you sell, they very not necessarily similar, but they're in the same, like, like if it's automotive, it's all automotive, or if it's, you know, health, it's all health. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they're all in the same category and I have, I want to say about 85, uh, active SKUs right now on amazon.com. And then I've taken them and put them into other marketplaces as well. Awesome. Now, Kevin, it, that, that's a great framework to get started, but how do we even pick the first thing that we start with? Should we go something we're passionate about? And you said, um, zag instead of where people are zigging, what, how should we find that first product that we should put out there to sell? Gotcha. So that's a, that's, that's the magical question. So the big sticking point for just about everyone who gets into this is what do I sell? Now there's tools like jungle scout. Um, there's other similar tools that'll help you at least kind of figure out potential, um, demand for that type of product. Um, what I would suggest is products that are, are selling, getting consistent sales and not too much competition. And some of that, you know, based on like, if you look and see, like if everyone is selling, we'll use garlic presses as an example, and the top five all have, you know, over a thousand reviews or something like that. That's probably not a good niche to get into because think about your own, um, purchasing behaviors on Amazon. You're looking for the social proof of, you know, how many reviews does this have? And if one has three, three, five-star reviews and another one has a thousand, which would you as the consumer be more likely to be? So it doesn't mean you have to have a whole bunch of reviews to start off with, but you at least want something where you can kind of be in the ballpark of what now, others are doing. Okay. That makes sense. Now is, um, it seems like Amazon's been around for a while. I don't mm -hmm. think they're going to go anywhere, which is great for uh, anybody that's trying to get into business. Now it seems like it, there's so many products on there. I mean, is it too late to jump into this business? Some people will say that, and I'll say this. So I got started in 2015 selling on Amazon, and that was the de big debate back then. Is it too late to get started selling on Amazon? So Amazon ultimately is just a channel. So 
if you think of it this way, if you start getting good at product development and you can move your units on other channels in addition to Amazon, then that's great. Right now, Amazon's the hot thing. About half of all e-commerce sales in the US are done on Amazon. Well, in five, 10 years, that might change. But worrying about what might happen in five, 10 years isn't going to get you sales and success today. And then whatever you learn today, you can apply down the road. And I think God bless the broken road of all the things I've done along the way that have helped me to get to where I'm at now. And they may not all seem directly related, but whatever you do today could help you down the road, even if things change. I think that's a great, uh, actually fantastic piece of device for everybody, because let's say there's another company, Amazon 3.0 or whatever. It's like right. literally a, a whole different company, mm -hmm. but you've already know like the whole process, maybe the supply chain and mm -hmm. how to do shipping and all that sort of stuff. You already have that understanding. So you can just pivot a little bit or go to another, like if, let's say eBay is now, everybody's going back to eBay or something like that. Exactly. You can utilize that. Exactly. And you know, the thing of it is, is, at the end of the day, Amazon is no different than, let's say, an open air market 2000 years ago. People have a, a need for something. You have a product to sell. And so at a certain point, the amount of money they have in their hand that they possibly might give up has to the value of your product essentially has to meet or exceed what they're willing to pay for it. And as long as you can get the two to balance out, it's going to work out. And it's the same thing on Amazon, except just some of the tactics you use are just a little different, but ultimately it's, we forget about this, but there's real people on the other side of the keyboard that are of real hopes and dreams, real desires. And they're trying to solve some real need with whatever it is they're buying. And if you think of it from your own standpoint, that's what you do when you buy something is so whoever the listener is, you know, think of how you're buying things and try to put yourself in the shoes of someone who might buy whatever it is you're thinking about selling. I think that's a fantastic point. Anytime in business, if you could put yourself in your customer shoes or the person that you're servicing, you're taking care of, put yourself in their shoes and think like they're going to think and walk them through the process or provide them whatever it is they need, you're going to get a much better, more quality sale and they're going to come back, I think. It's because you're really helping them out. So that is that's great advice. Now, what I think is if you're going to go ahead and start selling on Amazon, it's very similar. It's just a, a as with eBay or other sites. I mean, it, they probably make it fairly easy. So I don't want to dive into that. But what I really want to dive into is the supply chain. And basically, how do you like, do you ship everything to your house and then package them up and send them out? What's the process? Once you find the product, you know what you want. You already have Amazon set up and you know you want to get started selling, but you found the product. What do we do after we find, we know we want to sell this product. What do we do next? So, I'm a bit of a control freak, so my answer might be a little different than some people, but I, I generally have sent everything, especially for North America, to my house. Um, and then I send it into Amazon either in the US or the Canada from my house. Now, outside the US, I have to send it into you know wherever I'm sending it to. And a lot of people try to set their businesses up so that they send it directly to Amazon. I'm just maybe again, I'm just a control freak, um, which we'll get into later because I, I work. It's probably my convention background. I'm just too much into like making sure everything is perfect, which sometimes hinders me, I'll admit. But um, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is for what most people do is at least on their first shipment, send it into their house or someplace they can physically see it with their eyeballs. And then once they get a comfort level and trust, then start working on hopefully, you know, either sending it into a prep center or have a freight forwarder do something with their, um, with their product before sending it into Amazon, or they just send everything directly into Amazon. But I would say work up to that comfort level. Cause you don't want to send something directly into Amazon on your first shipment. And it turns out like every, like 20% of them are all broken and somebody could have caught that before it went into Amazon. So that's my suggestion. Got it. Cause yeah, quality control. I mean, as soon as you start selling bad products, you start getting one stars and mm -hmm. those will definitely, it seems like they would, like, I don't buy when there's like a three star, when there's a, a four and a half star someplace else. Like, oh, I would absolutely. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's such a good point because to, to your point, like you, it's all about comparison. I mean, it's the social proof and Amazon has done a phenomenal job of having that social proof element of you can look and see like, okay, this has X number of stars, this number of ratings, whatever. And that, you know, that becomes important to people is, you know, like, what do others think? And if you think about it, like, they don't even know who these people are, but they just trust that when they see that, like, oh, there's 
this has three and a half stars. This has four and a half stars. Which one am I more likely to buy? That's great. Now, how would you scale that business to, you know, while they're selling, you know, just some products here and there and making some good money, how do you mm -hmm. scale it to where you can actually quit your job for, or can you? Yeah, you can. And it's one of those things. It's definitely not get rich quick. It's not an overnight thing. It's a, think of it as a snowball. So the snowball rolls down the hill and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's really, you're using the laws of compounding in your favor. So in an ideal way, if you think of it, every dollar you're putting in to buying a product, if you can get $2 out, then you just compounded a hundred percent. And if you can do that two and a half to four times a year, your money over time is going to grow and grow and grow. And then if you can, you know, as it, as you start purchasing more products and putting more money into not just reordering, but also now let's try another product and let's try another product and let's try another product. And some are going to work and some aren't. In fact, one of my biggest duds that it took me about a year and a half to sell through, um, I created a product to sell with it, like as a bundle basically. And that product didn't work out at all. But the the component that was going to be part of the bundle actually ended up being my best selling product. And I wouldn't have known that if I didn't try it. That's a great point. Now, I, I love the idea of selling on Amazon, especially right now, the it's in the history of the entire world. It's never been so easy to start a business and mm -hmm. start making money. It's just absolutely fantastic with technology. Now, I want you to take us back before you started the selling on Amazon, before you started everything and you mm -hmm. had a regular job. What were you doing at, with as a regular job? Great question. So I was climbing the corporate ladder and I always had this entrepreneurial itch. Like I remember as a kid, actually going door to door with a tray of like Kool-Aid and like Dixie cups and trying to sell them for a quarter to people and stuff like that. I'm sure people just bought it just to humor me because I was, you know, eight or whatever. <laughs> and so um, I've always had an itch, but then I got into like, I was really, I really thought the right path was to climb the corporate ladder, you know, get a college degree, climb the ladder, blah, 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 blah. And I don't disparage that. Like I said before, God bless the broken road. So I was working in the hospitality industry and I was working at a hotel and um, we'll actually go back a few years before that on eBay, I went and I bought two Nike Forwoods because I was going to flip them. And this is probably 04, 05. I don't Those even golf know. Clubs, right? Oh yeah. Golf clubs. So if you think about it, most people have a driver, a three woods and a five woods. Well, nobody has a four woods. I thought I was buying them for $40 and I was going to sell them for $400 because I went on Nike.com and they were selling or the MSRP, the manufacturer's suggested retail price was $400. So I thought, oh, I'll sell it. I'll, I'll make tons of money. I'm just going to keep doing this over and over again. And then something after I you know, received them said, well, let's go on eBay and look and see what else they're selling it for. Well, everyone else was selling them for about $40. So I did what a lot of people do nothing. <laughs> and I regret that because I lost at least 10 years between 04, 05, whichever it is, and 2015 when I get back into the game. But when I was working a regular corporate job and just more dreaming about trying something, but not actually pulling the trigger, I was working in a hotel. It was a large hotel. We had a big convention center and I was basically kind of like middle management. And I was managing a team of people who um, managed events. Let's make this year your best real estate investing year ever by coming to the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. And the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is where you can join hundreds of real estate investors and over 40 expert investor speakers and learn how to have an amazing success in your real estate investing business. The Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is not like any other conference out there. This is a no sales pitch conference where the entire three days event is all about you and helping you to meet expert investors, teaching you how to invest and join a huge community of hundreds of like-minded real estate investors. And because you are a part of the Successfully Unemployed podcast, I'm giving you 20% off your RubeCon pass. That's right. Get 20% off of your RubeCon pass. Use the promo code SU20 or SU20. You need to be at the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. Join us in the heart of downtown St. Louis, March 14th through the 16th for a transformative three-day event that's more than just a conference. It's a community of investors. Get your pass. Go to RubeCon.com, R-E-W-B-C, 
S-U-N-D-O-N.com and use the promo code SU20 or SU20 to get 20% off of your Rubicon pass. And we got bought out by a bigger company. And I remember one day, um, there was a lot of pressure to cut costs and whatnot. And we got this email from the general manager saying all management report to a meeting at 8 a.m. the next morning. And this was at 5 p.m. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so like, you know, we're all getting to each other's offices. What's going to happen here? What's going to happen here? And we go in there and there was like some celebration about the fact that like guest satisfaction, guest satisfaction scores from some survey were like up from the previous quarter. I'm like, they've never done anything like that. I was like, are you kidding me? You brought us in here for this? So I go back to my office thinking, oh, okay, I'm safe. Everything's good. Knock on my door. My boss comes to me and says, hey, Kevin, um, do you have a minute to come meet with her and her boss? And I was like, oh, no problem. We were having meetings about meetings about meetings all the time. So I thought nothing of it. So we go into this conference room, open the door. Her boss is there just as expected. Across the table is the head of human resources. And she was never at the meetings. So I was like, this isn't good. So basically, they um, gave me the opportunity to either apply for other jobs within the company or take a severance package. And I decided, although they were trying to suggest I apply for a different job, that I go into, um, I decided I was going to go into try something different. So I went and worked for a friend of mine's insurance agency, and I love them to death. And it was a great experience working at that insurance agency. But they went through all kinds of rapid growth while I was there. And it was like I was watching, you know, you hear that that cliche, um, working for someone else's dreams. I've truly felt and I was seeing it firsthand. I was working for someone else's dreams. I'm very happy for them. I want to be very clear. I'm very happy for their dreams and how well things worked out for them. But it was like one of those things. It was like, well, if I'm going to be working this hard, I should be working on my own dreams. So I just happened to be looking through. Um, iTunes at podcasts. And I came across, cause I was, I was a entrepreneur at the time. And I happened to find the amazing seller podcast, um, by Scott Volker, who now is a good friend of mine, but at the time I had no idea who this guy was. And he was walking through step-by-step how to sell on Amazon. And I was like, this is interesting. So I decided let's go ahead and test it out. And, uh, here we are today. That's fantastic. And so you took that history. Now I'm going to fast forward to, sure. you've also did a conference with Scott mm-hmm. and I, I, I was like, wow, that's fantastic. Well, first Scott, you did this conference says, yeah, but I, it wasn't all me. Like I have a, a great guy that actually has done this before and done it many times. So can you walk us through, well, I'll give you an example. So with successful unemployed, I would like to see a conference come out of this, maybe in like three or four years to where it's basically bringing people together that want to be successfully unemployed and having um, uh, brainstorming or, you know, lessons or, or sessions and also vendors, like really just bringing everybody together so that they can say, Hey, there's another way than working a job. How would I, let's walk me through, like coach me. How would I get to that point? If I'm, let's say I'm now I'm, I'm ready. I, I have the audience. I want to start the conference. What do I do to get started? Great question. So I'm, I'm going to go back just a moment on that. So let's talk about having a job and like all the thousands of times my boss would ask me to go, um, to their office, his or her office. And, you know, usually in that walk to the office, I was like freaking out or like that uncertainty feeling of like, Oh my gosh, this is, I'm going to get fired. Thinking worst case scenario. And then, you know, it only happened one time. It was actually the worst case scenario, but that kind of feeling goes through our minds as entrepreneurs almost all the time. And I had met Scott, I'd been on his podcast and I was talking to him and he said, um, that he wanted to do more to help people in the intermediate to advanced range. And I remember like going back to my hotel room that night, and this was at a conference and thinking, you know, he should do a conference. And then part of me is telling myself, well, who are you to ask him that? He's just going to say no. Um, so I ended up, you know, mustering the courage to ask him thinking like, he's going to be mad or he's going to like be rude or mean, like he's the nicest guy in the world. (laughs) He's not going to be mean. Um, but it's like those doubts that we tell ourselves. And so if you're thinking about whether it's have a conference or anything else, challenge those doubts in your head, because most of the time they're just nonsense. 
And so if you're thinking about having a conference, um, the first thing you got to do is decide where to have it. And whether it's going to be at a hotel, at a, you know, somewhere else, my experience was in hotels. I understand hotels. I probably was both the ideal client to work with for a hotel and also a monster at the same time because they couldn't pull anything past me because all I used to do in my last job was fix problems. So with hotel conferences, so I like I could foresee anything that could possibly happen. So if you don't have that experience, one of the things you could do is you could reach out to, there's companies that will help you sign the contract. So for example, we worked with a group called Groups 360. They're a company who basically negotiated the contract, doesn't cost us anything, and they get a commission from the hotel. So they basically act like as a travel agent, but for a larger block of rooms than a travel agent would. And I know the folks at Groups 360. They're actually former colleagues of mine from the hotel I worked at, and they some of them left and started this company. They do a really good job. Um, so you got to figure out where you're going to have it. And you got to get a contract. And the thing about when you have a contract is you got, usually you're on the hook for a couple things, rooms and food and beverage. Because at the hotel, they're going to say, we're going to block out a certain number of rooms and we're going to hold meeting space for you. So in order for us to do that, you have to promise us something. So basically, and there's all kinds of terms and conditions of how you can negotiate and structure it. But basically you have to have like, food and beverage and room. So that has to add up to something that in their mind is worthwhile. So it goes back to the open air market. What you have to offer has to be more valuable. So they have space. And so you have to come up with a contract that makes sense for both parties. And it truly becomes a partnership. And then once you have the contract, now you got to get people there. So it's like, once you feel like, oh, I got the contract and everything's there. It's not just like field of dreams where you build it and they will come. You got to you got to figure out how to market it. So, you know, with Scott, you know, he had a list of people. Well, even that, like, you know, it's, it takes some selling to get people to an event. And at the time we didn't have, like we have now testimonials and footage of the actual event, what it looked like. We had like a sales page that's kind of like, Hey, here's what it's going to be. And you know, some of it is we had to at times do what doesn't scale and jump on the phone and, hey, you sound like you're interested. Or would you like to do this? Because sometimes people need a little nudge or they have extra questions they want to ask. But eventually you got to get the folks in the seats. And then also to make it profitable, you want to make sure that you have sponsors. Now, the thing with sponsors, they want people there. So you... Uh, have a little extra pressure to make sure you get people there. So we ended up with about 200 people there and had eight sponsors, eight or nine sponsors. Um, and everybody had a great time. And some of it is, you know, the, the feel of the event, because what it all comes down to with an event is you want people to take away some kind of feeling because most of the time when you go to a conference, do you really remember much of what the speaker said? Maybe you have some notes some takeaways, but it's really more, how did you feel about it? And so some of that is done with music, with speakers, with lighting, with getting people to connect, because that's one of the things people really remember that they don't necessarily realize they want. They think they want, what we've come to find is people want content. They want to learn stuff, but what they really take away are the relationships and they don't realize the value in the networking until they've been there. People that have been to several conferences usually recognize that. Um, so just in general, another side tip here. Um, if you're going to a conference, put as much effort into networking as you possibly can, because at the end of the day, the value of a conference is bringing together people, you know, whether they're people that are, you know, looking to leave their jobs or they're successfully unemployed or whatever it is that people that won't normally get together in a room because they're not normally surrounded by each other. Because when you have a job, you're surrounded by people that are working the insurance business or the hotel business or whatever type of business. But when you're outside of the job, you have to seek that out. And so bringing people together is the true value in it. That was a very long-witted answer. So I hope I answered it. That's So I want to do a quick recap, but I want to quickly touch on the, the networking aspect. I 100% agree. So whenever I go to conferences, and usually I go to about two, maybe three a year, different conferences, I literally don't go to any sessions anymore. And because I always get the package where I can watch them later if I ever wanted to. 
but the value is in the networking, is in working with other people, seeing what they're doing, what has worked and what hasn't worked. And maybe being on their podcast or whatever it might be, but like you're working with other people. I found my business has just gone so much better, exploded after networking and finding more people. So that's what I, I love to do is network because it just helps my business grow so much. Now, so in starting a conference, we have to find the location, correct? We have to figure out what city we're going to be in. Is that is there any magic to that? But it just sounds like figure out a, a good city that would have a decent price on the hotel. That's a great question. And there's probably a little more art to that than you may think. So for example, we had our conference in September and we're holding it again in September. Um, and the thing to keep in mind is what else could happen in September? So I live about 40 minutes north of West Palm Beach. Well, three out of the last four years, I've had to put the hurricane shutters up on my house because we have hurricanes here. And like, and if a hurricane came in, even though you have some clauses that protect you, it would be a disaster. Even if there was a hint that hurricanes might happen and people are canceling and flights might cancel or whatever, or people are stranded. I mean, it would be a disaster. So we didn't want to be anywhere near a coastal area. Um, outside of hurricane season, Florida is usually a pretty good place to be. Um, some of it is, you know, you may want to think about like time of year and what the weather might be, what might attract people there. Because sometimes also just the city you're in could attract people because maybe they want to stay a day or two on the back end. So, I don't want to badmouth any towns, but just think of your own um, travel. Like, where would you want to go? Then, what you also may want to think about is there's certain towns that are more known for um, being a little bit more expensive. And so, generally speaking, like if hotel room, you just go on like Travelocity and you look up rooms, and you're not going to get probably the same rates. Maybe you get better rates, maybe you don't. Um, but you could at least look and see like, you know, New York is probably going to be super expensive. Um, and there's probably lots of union rules that make it extra expensive to have a conference. Um, Chicago is kind of the same thing. Whereas Fort Worth or Charlotte or Orlando, you know, maybe it's not the same case and maybe the room rates are better. And then you also want to like make sure it's in a place where there's good um, air traffic that, coming into it. You know, like you, like we were in Fort Worth, so we're near Dallas, Fort Worth and Love Field. So we had two big airports. Um, you know, our future conferences are going to be in other places that have, you know, big airports and things like that. So, you know, you, I'll, I'll just use Lubbock, Texas, where I went to school. Yeah, there's an international airport there, but it probably, I don't know of places that could fit what we were looking to do. I don't know that there's a lot of flights in and out, um, especially flights that are um, nonstop. So those are things I would think about. So keep it in a city that's pretty good. Like where you, you're in Arizona, Phoenix. right? Yeah, I'm in Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay, so Phoenix is a great location for conferences um, just because great hub for an airport. And the weather's price. good. The, the weather's good in the good. winter, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So all kinds of factors work in that Phoenix is a very good conference um, city. And you know, like I said, if you're not 100% sure Talk to a company. It doesn't have to be groups 360. I don't want to just pitch them, but talk to some company that does that and they can help you with that kind of thing. Man, that's great. Okay. So we find a city, then we get a company and I am a firm believer in paying a company that would do something that would, it would either take me a lot of time or I would lose a lot of money doing something that I don't know what I'm doing. So after, maybe after I've done like 10 conferences and I've looked at, you know, 10 different contracts and I know what the, I might be able to do it myself, but I know a gentleman who has, uh, he, he runs FinCon. Have you heard of FinCon? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've heard of FinCon. Yeah. I haven't been, but I've heard of, I've heard good things. Great, great conference. I was talking to PT, the owner of FinCon, and he still uses, and it's been like 10 years, he still uses a company that negotiates and does all that stuff for him because he saves a lot of money. And I'm kind of thinking, man, I got to pay somebody to do it. But at the same, you know, it's so much better getting somebody else. So I'm totally, I think it's a great idea. Now from there, you need to make sure that you have um, enough, like whatever the hotel says, block this many rooms, you got to guarantee that. So that's money that you're going to have to write a check for. Is that correct? Possibly. So generally speaking, um, there's two ways to go about rooms. So it could be either the rooms are, they're being paid for by the group or the groups are what they call on own. So like most conferences in the entrepreneurial space, your room is on your own. 
Um, and then, you know, like with, for example, with Brand Accelerator Live, you know, we paid for our speakers, we paid for our audiovisual techs, um, a couple other folks, you know, core staff and things like that. We paid for rooms, but for the most part, everyone else was on their own. The hotel doesn't really care who's paying for it. They just want to know that a certain percentage of the rooms that they've blocked get picked up. So as long as it gets picked up, you don't owe what they call attrition, which is basically just if let's say you have to, you have 300 rooms and you have to pick up 80%, as long as you pick up at least 240 rooms that are paid for, you're fine. If you only do 220, then that difference of 20, depending on your contracts worded, you'd have to potentially pay. Got it. Got it. Now, what about food too? Because that's something you mentioned. Is it mm-hmm. you have to get food or is that something that you could also negotiate? Yeah. So the way it generally works with hotels is if you're in more of a peak season, the more they're going to hold you to a higher food and beverage minimum. Um, and then, you know, food and beverage could be maybe you have a, a bar or maybe you have a VIP reception. It doesn't necessarily have to be for everyone. Um, now, what I'll say is time of year could be a difference because let, let's say you have a conference and, um, well, let me, let me take a step back. Generally speaking, meeting planners like to have conferences when kids aren't out of school, because if, if you're attending a conference and your kids are out of school and it's a chance you could go on vacation with your kids or go to the association of whatever's conference, what are you more likely to do? You'd say, I want to spend the time with my family. So meeting planners don't like to do summers, um, Christmas break, Thanksgiving break, you know, times when people would normally be on vacation because people are less likely to attend the conference. Now in the entrepreneurial space, maybe summertime might be a good time to do it. Maybe it might, maybe it isn't depends. So the reason I'm bringing that up is oftentimes you can get more favorable rates as far as the room rates might be lower. Maybe your attrition is lower. Your minimum for food and beverage is lower, but generally speaking, you got to bring something to the table. And so if you don't have food, let's make this year your best real estate investing year ever by coming to the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. And the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is where you can join hundreds of real estate investors and over 40 expert investor speakers and learn how to have an amazing success in your real estate investing business. The Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is not like any other conference out there. This is a no sales pitch conference where the entire three days event is all about you and helping you to meet expert investors, teaching you how to invest and join a huge community of hundreds hundreds of like-minded real estate investors. And because you are a part of the Successfully Unemployed podcast, I'm giving you 20% off your RubeCon pass. That's right. Get 20% off of your RubeCon pass. Use the promo code SU20 or SU20. You need to be at the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. Join us in the heart of downtown St. Louis, March 14th through the 16th for a transformative three-day event that's more than just a conference. It's a community of investors. Get your pass. Go to RubeCon.com. R-E-W-B-C-O-N.com and use the promo code SU20 or SU20 to get 20% off of your RubeCon pass. Beverage, they may charge your attendees more for rooms. And if they're charging your attendees more for rooms, so instead of maybe $180 a night, maybe it's $250 a night. Well, you might have less people pick up rooms because of that. So it's one of those things you end up kind of paying it one way or the other. Yeah, the hotel basically wants to make sure that they're making the money that they need for the block. Okay. Got it. Now, if from there, we're going to, we already have a contract. We're already ready to go. How do you go and find, because I've heard from PT, from FinCon, he says, and and you, I think you mentioned this earlier, that you make the, a lot of the profit or the majority of the profit when you have sponsors or people that, that companies that come, how do you find those ones to make sure? Because I, I know that there are probably some that I could think off the top of my head, but there are probably some that I have no clue about. How do we go about doing that? Yeah. So that's a great question. So with Scott, the nice thing was, you know, he had had, and he's built a really great relationship with his audience over time. And some of his audience are people that own companies. Maybe they've been on his show. And so whether we reached out to them or they reached out to us, and then as well as, you know, we went to conferences and we chatted with some folks, you know, who would be potentially comparable type companies that might be interested in, you know, sponsoring our event too. And it's one of those things where it's like, we look at a lot of other events and they're 
every year their sponsorship list tends to grow. And I think some of that is, is the conference grows and people have heard of it more sponsors, more, um, likely to go to it. Um, we thankfully were profitable the first year. Um, I've heard of a lot of conferences that maybe aren't profitable the first year. Cause I think with the conference, it's not a huge, huge moneymaker. And oftentimes for the meeting or for whoever owns it, but it's a great relationship building tool. And so over time it can be very profitable. Um, and I think some of it is just how you manage the costs as well as, um, just making sure that, you know, you're creating a good attendee experience, which also leads to a good experience for the sponsors. And so you just kind of got to look at it as like all together again, hopefully I answered that question. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did. And that's something that as I go to other conferences, I could even just go to their website and see who's sponsoring them. Absolutely. Yeah. See what is a similar type of conference or that would have a a somewhat same niche and um, go and just talk to those and say, Hey, I have a conference, you know, or I'm starting a conference. So that's a great, great way to do it. Is there anything that we might've missed? I know now running the conference, a whole nother ball of wax, like actually, you know, the nuts and bolts of getting the speakers on stage that we don't need to get into that. But is there anything we missed on building up to the actual date that you go live? Is there anything we could have missed out on? Yeah, there's a few different things. So generally speaking, people will they'll buy their ticket before they get their airfare. And then after they get their airfare rooms tends to be one of the last things. So there's a, usually most hotel contracts have what they call a cutoff date, which what happens after the cutoff date, which is usually about a month out from the conference, things aren't as guaranteed anymore. So you're no longer in control of your room block anymore. So like if they have a pharmaceutical company books, you know, last minute has higher room rate and higher, whatever they might just say, sorry to you and your attendees, we're booking these. Oh, and by the way, you still have a bill for what you owe us. <laughs> yeah. So depending on how it's structured, that could happen. Um, so you want to make sure that people are booking their rooms ahead of time because people are procrastinators. I mean, it's just normal. Like, you know, the, you book your room last and you think like, oh, it's no big deal. It's a conference. They booked rooms, whatever. And then, you know, they're book they're trying to book it three days out. So you want to try to encourage people as much as you can, if you can incentivize them maybe with some sort of group Facebook live coaching or something like that. Maybe um, anything you can do to get people, um, you know, we had, a, oh, another thing is I would recommend doing some sort of Facebook group for the, um, for the group. So that way you can get people chatting before they get there. And that helps because a lot of people are very introverted and if they at least have, um, some familiar face, even if it's just, they've seen, you know, words that this person has typed and they've kind of, people generally start looking at each other's Facebook profiles and stuff like that. So they kind of feel like they know each other a little bit before they get on site. That's helpful. Um, and then anything you can do to encourage people to mingle with one another. I, I highly recommend that. That's great. I love it. Now you're giving us loads and loads of great information. Is there, uh, let's, I want to jump into now the rapid fire round. Okay. Now the rapid fire round is basically, I'm just going to ask you these general questions. You should be able to answer them off the top of your head. So the first one is if you were to go back and start from scratch, you know, maybe let's say 25 years ago, you're going to give yourself one piece of advice. It's going to be whatever it is. What would you give yourself advice wise for getting a future without having a job and being successfully unemployed? Don't get in your own way. And I'll just use those Nike golf clubs as an example. If I had at least sold them, if I lost money or broke even, think of what I would have learned and the traction I would have gotten. I lost 10 years, 10 years that I'll never get back in my entrepreneurial journey. And that 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 compounding factor would have been huge. And so I, I gave in to the doubts. And so the times I've not given into the doubts, because they're always going to be there, but the times I don't give into them, I generally tend to do really well. And the times I give into them, I look back with regret. I think that's a fantastic idea. I I like that if I just get started, if I just make myself do it, I'll figure it out as I go. Absolutely. And yeah, that's exactly what I do. Okay. So what would you give advice wise? It, it could be, you know, if it's the same, I completely understand advice wise for somebody that wants to get into the business of selling and selling on Amazon, selling on eBay, but selling online, what advice would you give them? Think long-term. Don't get into this and and fall for the, oh my gosh, I, I got, you know, you could have a Lamborghini in, in six months and all this stuff. Like most of that is smoke and mirrors, but there are people, I will tell you this now, having been in this business for a long time, there's people that are doing very, very, very well for themselves. 
And oftentimes you don't hear about them. You don't know who they are. They're just quietly crushing it. And if you just think of it as, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the best I can and crush it. And I'm going to learn, I'm going to make mistakes along the way, but as long as I keep trying, I'm not failing. Just keep moving forward. I love that. I think you're absolutely right. I wouldn't be here today if I would have, you know, stopped at any point with my real estate that I have. I have 30 plus properties and I literally don't need to work just because money keeps rolling in. So I completely agree. Um, okay. So next question, what tools or apps? I mean, it could be an app on your phone. It could be like a power tool. Like what sure. tools <laughs> would you suggest that we should utilize in our lives? Oh, what tools should you use in your lives? That is a good question. I really got to think on that here for a second. I would say pen and paper. And the reason I say that is I was like about to say, oh, my phone, it's, you know, all those things I can do on it. But I was like, you know what? It becomes such a distraction where I've just, I've come to learn there's a magic when you put pen to paper. Like um, as we're recording this, my, this weekend, my uh, wife and kids are away at uh, Legoland right now. And, um, I was planning on taking some time and really focusing on my goals. And I pulled a journal from probably four or five years ago when I was just getting back started into the entrepreneurial journey and like looking at what I wrote down and what's come to fruition. Like it gives me so much confidence moving forward to look back at that. So if you can have something tangible that you can keep and it's some, some way you can hold on to it, like, I, I really think there's there's something about the pen to the paper and the muscle movement of your hand that you don't get when you type stuff. I absolutely agree with that. And in fact, I think it was maybe, I don't know, maybe five or so years ago, um, my kids were getting out of school and I was seeing articles that were coming out a little bit about how you remember better, you you think better when you're actually writing it out. And that's something that's lost now with the, the people that are growing up now with everything on electronics, computers and phones and everything. You're not getting that brain thought and the hand muscle memory and writing everything out. And I remember things that I wrote by hand many, many years ago, as opposed to things I just typed this morning. You know, it's like, right. I just typed them out. It just, oh, I can't remember what it was. But yeah, there's something about writing it down. I love that idea. So that's great. Now, what? The, here's the last question. What is one nonfiction book that you would recommend? It could be business. It could be anything in nonfiction space that we should read. I'm going to say The Compound Effect. And I, I literally just finished it again the other day because it, I think that one got my mind at the beginning of this entrepreneurial journey. And I go back and I review it maybe once a year, just because Darren Hardy, former um, publisher of success magazine, you know, he really outlines the fact it's not big things that you do. It's the little things you do day to day that compound over time. And like I was saying before, business is not a get rich quick scheme, but when you keep inching forward every day, you will get the football down the field and score the touchdown, so to speak. But you you won't get it if you're not inching forward. The compound effect. I'm going to definitely have to look that one up. Great. Well, Kevin, you've given us so much great information, great wisdom. How can anybody, if they want to reach out to you, learn how you what you're doing, um, get more information out of you, and listen to your podcast, how would they be able to find you? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I do have a podcast and a YouTube channel called Maximizing E-Commerce, where I uh basically bring on people who are subject matter experts um, in e-commerce or people that are successful sellers, or sometimes I just get on and I share some of what I've learned along the way because I've had a lot of great people help me and it's my way of giving back to others. That's great. And what was that one more time? What is it, what's the dot com? Oh, Maximizing E-commerce. You can go to MaximizingEcommerce.com or you can look up on YouTube or whatever app you use for podcasts and just look up Maximizing E-commerce. Fantastic. Kevin, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with all of us. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dustin. appreciate having me. All right, Matt. Take care. Now, this was such a fantastic eye-opener for me. I've always wanted to do something like a, a drop shipping or Amazon selling or something like that, but I've never actually done it just because it seemed kind of hard. But Kevin here makes it so understandable, so easy for us as people wanting to start doing this. We just need to follow the steps that Kevin just gave us. He is fantastic at helping us build that business. So get out, start building your business. If that's what you want to do is Amazon selling, you absolutely should get started right away. It is so amazing not working a J-O-B, working that nine to five J-O-B where you can wake up whenever you want. You can go to the gym, you can travel the world, you can literally just not work for somebody else 
and work on your own and call your own shots, be your own boss, never have to worry about bills again. I want you to do that. So go out and get my best-selling book, How to Quit Your Job with Passive Income. Get it for free, completely for free, successfullyunemployed.co forward slash free book. That's one word forward slash free book. And I want you to get started. So get that book, implement that into your life so that you will not have to work at J-O-B again and be successfully unemployed. All right, you guys are fantastic. I super, super appreciate you guys being here with me on the Successfully Unemployed show and hearing how you can be successfully unemployed. All right, guys, I'll see you next time where we interview another fantastic expert on how they quit their J-O-B and how you can do it too. Okay, we'll see ya. Let's make this year your best real estate investing year ever by coming to the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. And the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is where you can join hundreds of real estate investors and over 40 expert investor speakers and learn how to have an amazing success in your real estate investing business. The Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is not like any other conference out there. This is a no sales pitch conference where the entire three days event is all about you and helping you to meet expert investors, teaching you how to invest and join a huge community of hundreds of like-minded real estate investors. And because you are a part of the Successfully Unemployed podcast, I'm giving you 20% off your RubeCon pass. That's right. Get 20% off of your RubeCon pass. Use the promo code SU20 or SU20. You need to be at the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. Join us in the heart of downtown St. Louis, March 14th through the 16th for a transformative three-day event that's more than just a conference. It's a community of investors. Get your pass. Go to RubeCon.com, R-E-W-B-C, com and use the promo code SU20 or SU20 to get 20% off of your Rubicon Pass. Let's make this year your best real estate investing year ever by coming to the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. And the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is where you can join hundreds of real estate investors and over 40 expert investor speakers and learn how to have an amazing success in your real estate investing business. The Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is not like any other conference out there. This is a no sales pitch conference where the entire three days event is all about you and helping you to meet expert investors, teaching you how to invest and join a huge community of hundreds of like-minded real estate investors. And because you are a part of the Successfully Unemployed podcast, I'm giving you 20% off your RubeCon pass. That's right. Get 20% off of your RubeCon pass. Use the promo code SU20 or SU20. You need to be at the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. Join us in the heart of downtown St. Louis, March 14th through the 16th for a transformative three-day event that's more than just a conference. It's a community of investors. Get your pass. Go to RubeCon.com, R-E-W-B-C, and use the promo code SU20 or SU20 to get 20% off of your RubeCon pass.